all the things we do in our daily lives from morning to night are geared towards looking after the body. We eat, wash, we rest at night, maybe during the day, we exercise, make some money to buy all those things which are necessary in order to do that, go shopping. We may even read a book, although in the age of television that hasn't become so popular. But what does reading a book do for us? It gives information. Nothing wrong with information. But it neither rests nor purifies the mind. Now we do that with the body quite regularly, every night, and wash it every morning, every evening. And we would never dream of not doing that. We might also be interested in eating health food, so that brown rice instead of white, and so on, the whole gamut of it, what's available, so that the body has a better chance of staying healthy. And we may do some exercises also. That's all very well, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all fine. But if we spend all that effort on the body, we must spend some effort on the mind. We need to wash it, we need to rest it, we need to exercise it, we have to give it health food. And health food for the mind is far more important than health food for the body. Preferably we can get both. But if we only have the one, then the health food for the mind is the most important. And if we can see that clearly, that the mind needs to be looked after, then we may eventually find it possible to give at least a little attention every day to the mind, take away some of the time that we spend on the body and give it to the mind. So we have 24 hours in each day where we sleep seven or eight and which leaves us with, let's say, at least 16 hours a day. In those 16 hours, it must be possible to find an hour a day to do something for one's mind. Most people find that enormously difficult. One should inquire into oneself why. One of the reasons that people find it difficult to spend that hour a day on the mind, maybe two half hours or whatever is possible, is that it doesn't seem to have immediate benefits. If we eat something nice, we have a good taste and we feel no longer hungry. If we have a rest at night, we know that in the morning 
we wake up quite refreshed. If we exercise the body, we have at least the hope that it will stay supple a little longer. And if we wash it, at least we don't smell bad. But when we sit down to meditate, we don't seem to see any immediate benefit. And yet, there are immediate benefits. And these immediate benefits will only accrue to us if we do it regularly. Just like we can't just eat once in a while, we can't just go to bed at night once in a while, we can't just wash once in a while or wear clean clothes once in a while. We've got to do it day after day. The only life we have is this one day. Everything else is either the past, which is long gone, or the future, which is a hope and a prayer, and may never arise. And when the future <coughs> really arises, it's called the present. So it's never really there. So each day is the only day we've got. Each moment is the only moment we've got. So if we think about it in that way, we may find that each morning we can make a new resolution that we should look after our mind this particular day. And the better and the more we look after our mind, the easier our life becomes because the body is only the servant. The mind is in charge. If our minds hadn't told us to come here to this island, the bodies would never have made it. They would still be at home. It's the mind that has brought the body here. If we can take a look at that and become very clear on it that we are constantly taking care of the servant and disregarding the one who is in charge of it all, maybe that will make it clear how utterly important and essential it is that the meditation becomes part of one's daily life. We never have excuses that we haven't got time to go to sleep at night. We don't have excuses that we don't have time to wash ourselves or clean our teeth. But we always find an excuse that we didn't have time to meditate. And yet, it's far more important than anything else we can do. It's looking after ourselves in a way which will bring the greatest results. There's no comparison to anything else that we can do in life. Any success that we may have or anything that we may wish to accomplish if we accomplish a clear mind. The Buddha said, no friend can be as helpful as a well-trained mind.
No enemy can be as obstructive as an untrained mind. And the only way we can train a mind is through meditation. There's no other way to train it. All the rest of what we can do is using information for some purpose, which we do when we learn things, we use the learned information for purposes. But the training of mind only happens in meditation. The meditation that we learn brings immediate benefits even when we can't see that right away. When it seems as if the mind is very distracted, when it seems that the mind has absolutely no concentration and the whole of the meditation seems to be extremely difficult, we still have immediate benefits. The first immediate benefit is that we make good karma. And everybody needs as much good karma as they can make. It's a support system for our lives. The less good karma we make, the more difficult life becomes. The reason we're making good karma with meditation, with sitting down to meditate, is because the intention is a good one. We have the intention of concentrating, we have the intention of becoming calm and tranquil, we have the intention of training our minds. So with that intention, good karma is being made. Whether the intention then works out or not, that's the second question. The second benefit that we have immediately from meditation is that we're counteracting what is called our third hindrance, sloth and torpor. You can call it laziness and drowsiness. The laziness in the mind makes us drowsy. It makes it um, foggy. The intention to meditate and even the momentary concentration, just one moment of concentration counteracts that laziness that sloth and torpor, that procrastination, that we'll do it later, we'll do it another time, we'll do it when something happens, when it's colder or warmer, or the children are bigger, or there's more time, or whatever we have as an excuse. The procrastination in the mind is immediately counteracted when we sit down and do it. The more often we sit down and do it, the more habitual it becomes, the easier it becomes to do it again and again. The third benefit which we have immediately is that one moment of concentration is one moment of purification. If we just have one second where we're concentrated on the meditation subject, in that second, we cannot think negatively. So it's a moment of purity. The more moments of purity we have in our lives, the easier it will be to have a mind which is clear, which is not swayed by its emotions, its passions and its resistances. The purification of mind and heart 
is the pathway of the Buddha. So we have an automatic purification system the minute there's only a moment of concentration. The more often we do it, the more we accumulate purification. The accumulation of that makes everything much easier, makes meditation easier. So we have immediate benefits of good karma, of counteracting the third hindrance of sloth and torpor, and of momentary purification. And we also have another benefit. Another benefit which is extremely important. In the meditation which we're going to do, when a distracted, distracting thought arises, we will try and label that. Now, for beginners, the distracting thoughts are innumerable, and they'll find it impossible to label all of them. There are just too many of them. So we label whatever we can. Labeling means being an objective observer of that distracting thought, which means we're no longer thinking it. We're observing it. And a label can be future or past. Later, not important. Bored, wanting, planning, hoping, resisting, rejecting, confused. One of the labels, which may be often quite an apt one, may be nonsense. That can be very often exactly what's happening. We have two immediate benefits from that when we label the distracting thoughts in the meditation. The first one, which is of such great benefit that one can only recognize that when one has actually lived with that for a while. One no longer believes every thought one has. It's the most freeing and most liberating experience one can think of. As long as one believes every thought one has, one's got to do something about it. So one is constantly busy, reacting thinking and reacting, worrying and fearing, disliking and wanting, because one believes every thought that's in the mind. And the mind throws up thought after thought after thought, from morning till night. So this is one of the great benefits that every meditator has, only, of course, if one meditates regularly that one no longer believes everything one is thinking. One knows it's just a thought. And the second benefit that one has from that is that one learns to label in meditation and thereby can label in everyday life. Now in meditation we substitute every thought that we can catch with attention on the breath. In everyday life, we substitute every unwholesome, every unskillful thought with a skillful one. 
In order to do that, we have to label them. We have to know what we're thinking. In order to learn that in meditation, we actually practice it every day in meditation and all day long in everyday life. The meditation helps us to do it successfully in everyday life. Doing it in everyday life helps us to do it successfully in meditation. To be able to see our own unskillful thinking in everyday life and substitute with skillful ones, skillful thoughts, is the greatest benefit that we can have, and that is a spiritual life then. A spiritual life does not have to be lived in a certain place or with certain rituals. It has to be lived in one's mind and heart. And a spiritual life in one's mind and heart is a life of purification, a life of purity. And the only way we can live a life of purity is if we change that which is impure into that which is pure. The formula is recognition, no blame, change. There's no blame attached to any unskillful thought. There's no blame attached to any negativity. There's only the understanding that it can be changed. That we can change our mind is obvious. We've got it inbuilt in our language. We say, I just changed my mind. We can change our mind many, many times, as much as we want to. But we need to know where to change it to. And if spirituality has become important in one's life, as opposed to materiality, then that is the most important aspect. We'll never do it without having learned it in meditation. Because then it's quiet, and there's no reaction necessary. It's just happening. In everyday life, there's always something going on. And we need to react. We need to be there. But here in meditation, we can just watch ourselves. So we have all these immediate benefits. And then there's another benefit, which is important to know about, which only comes about eventually. Our mind is the most valuable and the most wonderful tool which exists in the whole universe. But like all tools, it needs to be taken care of. It needs to be looked after. Imagine you have a very valuable tool which you use every day and you let it run from morning to night and from night to morning. And you leave it out in the open and it doesn't get oiled, it doesn't get cleaned it doesn't get turned off. Well, this valuable tool, whatever it may be, will very soon be out of commission. You can trade it in. Try and trade your mind in. Not possible. Nobody wants it. Everybody's got their own to contend with. 
and yet this is what we do with our minds. We let it run from morning to night and let it dream from night to morning. And we don't take it in from the difficulties of the distracting and negative thoughts and emotions. We don't protect it from any of that. We don't look after it. So no wonder it doesn't serve us well. And yet, we're stuck with it for the duration. So it would pay to look after it. Nothing can be more valuable than our own mind. Nothing can be more important than looking after it. So we need to have moments in our days such moments as we will be getting here, where we can stop this valuable tool from running on, giving it a chance to recuperate, to recover, to regenerate its energy. The only way it can regenerate its energy is when it stops thinking and starts experiencing. And then Having done that, it is a splendid tool, which means, in the terminology of meditation, calm and insight, samatha and vipassana in Pali. Calm and insight, the stopping of the constant inner chatter so that calm and tranquility to have a clear and sharp tool which can see a different perspective. These are, this is an eventual benefit. This is not an immediate benefit. The immediate benefits are numerous. Good karma, antidote for sloth and torpor, the uh, purification, even momentary purification, the um, ability to label and to use that in everyday life. These immediate benefits need, of course, to be accumulated over and over again so that we can actually notice them that they actually mean something to us. Because just doing it once or twice or on a weekend like here, we won't notice the benefits yet. But having done them over and over, we will. That's the why of meditation. And now the how, which won't take nearly as long to explain. We're going to use the breath as our meditation subject. It has many, um, there are many reasons for using the breath. It's only one of many methods. And a method is just a method by any name. But we do have to have some sort of method so that we can use it to hang our mind on like a hook 
to hang the hat on. And with this method, eventually we will come to the point where we don't need it anymore. But at first we have to use it. The breath is useful because, first of all, we always have it with us. We can't forget it. We can't try and think, oh, I left it at home. What am I going to do now? Secondly, it's our foundation for our life. Without it, we won't be alive. So it has a direct connotation to being here. And we may be able to arouse some love and gratitude for it, which are two qualities which are very important in order to meditate. Because heart and mind have to be engaged, both of them. Also, the breath is intrinsically connected with the mind. If we are excited and in a hurry, the breath will go heavily. If we are calm and at ease, the breath becomes calm and shallow and eventually it becomes so fine the breath that we can't use it as a meditation subject anymore and then we can go across the threshold and experience inner purity which are then the steps of the meditative absorptions the beginning of that I'll explain tomorrow in the beginning we need to watch the breath. One thing I have already explained and that is how to deal with the distracting thoughts, to label them. Any label that comes to mind is all right. The first one will do, not to try and find the correct one. I'll give you five possibilities how to watch the breath and you choose that that one which you think will be most effective for you you know about your own mind at least something you know about it so you choose that particular method which you think is most conducive for you for concentration and you stick with that method tonight and tomorrow morning have to give it a chance and then if you think it hasn't worked very well you try another one those of you who look like numbers can count one on the in-breath one on the out-breath two on the in-breath two on the out-breath no further than ten every time there's a distracting thought back to one not to start thinking where was I was I at four no must have been eight at least or something like that that's just another thought then always back to one after a thought has been labeled and is gone if you don't like numbers but like words use a word use the word peace Peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. All these are crutches 
to give the mind something to do. It's so used to thinking it isn't just all of a sudden going to stay with the breath. It's going to have all sorts of objections. In fact, it's going to think of thoughts which it hasn't had in years, just in order to be occupied. So we have to give it something to do. So we give it a word, and if you don't like numbers, we use a word. Peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. If one word isn't enough, you can use two different ones. Love on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. But one is better. If you have a visual mind, if you can conjure up the pictures easily, imagine that the breath comes in to you on an ocean wave, or if you prefer, on a cloud. Pick whichever one you like. If you have a technicolor mind, make it a beautiful color, silver, whatever you like. The wave comes in with the breath, and the wave goes out with the breath. As it comes in, it gets smaller. As it goes out, it gets bigger. There always has to be the breath connection. But the other one is in order to give it the possibility of having the mind a little bit interested. If we don't get interested in our meditation, we won't do it. If you don't like that, you can use sensation. The sensation of the wind of the breath on the nostrils. As the breath goes into the body, there are other sensations. You can feel it maybe at the, in, at the forehead, in the throat, in the lungs. Wherever you can feel a sensation, follow the breath in, follow the breath out. When your breath comes in, the lungs expand. That's at least very sure to be felt. When the breath goes out, they contract. On the out-breath, don't go far away from yourself. Stay right at the nostrils. Meditation takes place within. Thought takes place without. All our thoughts are about something out there. But the meditation is to experience our inner self, whatever is happening within. So stay near to yourself. As you follow the breath in, notice the breath and the sensations. As you follow the breath out, notice it, but stay close. Don't go far away from the body. And for those of you who have already practiced meditation a little more diligently, you might like to try to notice beginning, middle, end of the breath, which is more difficult because it takes more mindfulness and more awareness. As the breath comes in, there's beginning, middle, end. As it goes out, there's beginning, middle, end. You can't say those words, they're too long. It goes much too fast. It is possible to say one, two, three to oneself. And if one becomes aware of beginning, middle, end, one can drop those numbers also. Five possibilities. Counting, word, piece, picture, cloud or ocean wave. 
sensation of in-breath, following it, and out-breath, and beginning, middle, end. Pick one and stick to it. Method is method by any name. It doesn't matter. The breath is the traditional method which has been tried and proven over thousands of years and therefore being used again and again, most people find it possible to get on with it. Some people can't. They just can't stick to it. I will give you an alternative for that also. If there is absolutely no concentration on the breath because the mind just keeps going, 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 look at the impermanence of each breath. Give the mind a direction. Don't allow it to just think. Thinking is not productive under these circumstances. It's the most unproductive thing we can do. What we are after is calm and insight. Calm is the experience without the thought, and insight is seeing the world in an absolute reality different from the way we usually see it. So impermanence leads us there. So if the mind will not stay on the breath at all, look at the impermanence of each breath. It may give rise to some deductions on your part. So that's a sixth possibility, but only if you find that you can't stay on the breath at all. It's only an alternative to be used. Now, before we actually start doing it, is this quite clear? Are there any questions? How to do it, why to do it, whatever. Any question at all? It's much better to question it now instead to find out later that one hasn't really understood what it's all about. Also, the Buddha said, if one wants to gain wisdom, one has to ask a lot of questions. Yes? Uh, do you have any advice on this way to speak or uh, how you should think to meditate? Yes. The best way to sit is to sit on the floor on a, on a cushion. And... Uh, to have their legs in such a way that uh, one can keep them that way, that one doesn't um, that one doesn't expect to have to move very quickly. And it's important to have the back straight, relaxed, not military straight, relaxed but straight. And the hands can be in the lap or on the knees, it doesn't matter, and the eyes closed, because then there isn't the uh, sight distraction. There's plenty of mind distraction. It's important not to lean with the back against anything. The back should be open, because that is the um, the nerve endings, so it's very important that the back is relaxed, straight, and not leaning against anything. 
if there is any reason because of age or sickness that one has to sit on a chair then of course that's all right but other than that the discipline of sitting on a pillow in an unusual position which isn't as comfortable as one is used to that discipline of the body helps the discipline of the mind meditation is a discipline for the mind it's a training just as a sportsman would train his body so a meditator trains his or her mind yes I have a question. Um, once I did a course involving Zen, and uh, the, the suggestion was to count to ten uh, for each, uh, a number for each breath, and if, if you lost concentration at any time, just start again from one. What uh, is your feeling on that? Uh, the uh, yes. I think I said that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I uh, didn't I say that? Yes. I, I may have missed it. Excuse me if I did. I said one on the in breath, one on the out breath, two on the in breath, two on the out breath, no further than ten. After when you have a distracting thought, always go back to one. And uh, it's not particularly uh, necessary to do that if numbers are not exactly something that one likes very much it's one of the five possibilities but it's fine if you like numbers and if you have done this before with numbers that's fine you just do it like that it doesn't have to be that way either one can do one on the inverse two on the outburst three on the inverse but it gets confusing it's much better to do one in one out two in out. It's better, not as confusing. Yes, is there any other question? Yes, yes. Sometimes using the sensation method, I uh, lose track of the breath, it becomes so faint or so difficult to detect, I can't uh, identify with it. Is it helpful in cases like that to breathe more deeply, to make it more apparent, more easy to voice seen? Not necessarily, it's a possibility, but not necessarily. Uh, When that has happened, were you aware of a stronger sensation? Sometimes yes, sometimes it results in a lack of concentration. Yes, yes. Well, when it was stronger sensation, was it... Was it? The sensation, I mean. A what? More etheric and perhaps a sort of a way. Oh, what is that like? What's that feel like? <coughs> um, less identification with, um, with the material situation I was in. Now, I want to know what it feels like. Yes, pleasant. You'd have to say it was more pleasant than Okay. If it's so concentrated, perhaps, but pleasant. If it is a very pleasant sensation, which is undoubtedly very pleasant, then that can be the meditation subject, the sensation itself. So that would be uh, instead of the breath, okay? 
if it results in lack of concentration, one has to go back to the breath. Yes, and then it may be necessary to take a deep breath. We'll do a guided loving-kindness meditation now. And in order to get started, please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Now look into your heart and see whether there's any anger, dislike, rejection, worry, fear, anxiety, anything that's troubling, that's negative, any pride, jealousy, envy, if you find any of these or anything else that's troubling, let it just fly away like black clouds in the sky being dispersed by the wind. They're just black clouds in the mind. And then look again inside your heart and see the great open space that you can now fill with love and care, compassion, with warmth and acceptance. Fill it with these emotions and feel the soothing calm that that brings to you. Fill yourself from head to toe with the warmth of love, the peace of acceptance, the givingness of compassion, and surround yourself with a sense of peacefulness and well-being.
and with a heart that's full of love and care. Think of a person that you would like to extend that love and caring to and fill him or her from head to toe with the warmth of your love and the peacefulness and the joy that comes from giving and caring. And now think of someone who might really need love and caring and extend it to that person. Give him or her the gift of your love, the gift of your caring. Now think of your own parents, whether they're still alive or not. <coughs> Let the love and compassion from your heart reach out to them, filling them and embracing them, giving them your acceptance and appreciation. Think of the people who are nearest and dearest to you, those that you might live with. Give them the gift of your heart, warm and caring, loving and appreciating, without expecting the same in return.
Now think of your close friends. Reach out to them with the warmth of your love, the depth of your friendship. Let them know that they're dear to you without expecting anything in return. Now think of the people whom you meet in your everyday life, neighbors, people at work, in the shops, on the street, acquaintances, or those whom you only see. Take them into your heart. Give them the best that your heart can give. Let them all be part of your life, which they are, embracing them with your love. The more love you give, the more there will be in your heart. Let them know that they're part of you. Think of anyone whom you find particularly difficult to love. Or towards whom you are quite indifferent. Let your heart not be blocked by that. Give that person too the warmth of your love, the depth of friendship, care and concern.
Now open your heart as wide as you can and let the love and compassion flow out of it like a golden stream that goes over its banks and reaches out to all the people that it can find. Think of those whom you know and then those where you just understand that they are there whether you've seen them or not Letting the warmth and care from your heart reach out as far as it will go. Now put your attention back on yourself. And feel the joy that comes from loving and the contentment that comes from giving. Fill yourself with joy and contentment from head to toe. Surround yourself with warmth and caring. Sitting in that securely and safely.
may people everywhere have love and compassion in their hearts. We're going to do walking meditation now and I'll explain how to do that. We'll do it outside and everyone takes their own walking path which is about 20 to 25 paces long. In other words, you make yourself a marker from one tree to another tree or from the house to the tree or wherever you want to walk. should be a level area, but there's uh, lots of room out there with level areas. So you take your own walking path, and on this walking path you walk back and forth. Walking meditation is not the same as taking a walk. We'll discuss that also. But this is actually a meditation method. Just as we watch the movement of the breath, we watch in walking meditation the movement of the foot. So we do not pay any attention to the breath at all in walking meditation. It's either or. And when we sit, we use the breath. When we walk, we use the, the feet. We keep the eyes open and down. They go automatically in front of the feet. If we put them, if we look at the feet, that's distracting. So they automatically go in front of the feet. If we keep them up and look around, it's distracting. There's always something to see. The hands should be clasped together in front or in back of the body so that they don't dangle about, which is also distracting. So keep them together like clasping your hands in front or in back. And we'll do the walking meditation to start out with in a six-point movement, which is demanding enough to possibly keep the mind on it. Six-point movement means that we have two movements to get the foot off the ground. First one, the heel up, then the foot up. Then we have two movements in the air, one up in the air, one forward. Then we have two movements coming down, heel down, foot down. And the first foot has to be completely down before we raise the second one. Otherwise we have two things and don't know where to put our attention. So again, one movement, heel, then foot. So that's two to get off the ground. Two in the air, one up, one forward, two coming down, heel down, foot down. That makes it six. Now, to start out with, you might want to count one, two, three, four, five, six. That's fine. As soon as it becomes quite obvious what to do, you can stop the counting. When it becomes mechanical and you're walking nicely in a six-point movement and thinking of a thousand other things, Stop. Stand still and start again. It can easily become mechanical after a while. Maybe not the first time, but maybe the second time.
It's also good when you stand before you start to make a determination. I want to become concentrated or I like to meditate or whatever it is. I like to have peace in my mind or I want to train my mind. Whatever it is you like to tell yourself. Make a determination like a New Year's resolution. Of course, you then have to drop that in order to become concentrated. We can't have two things in the mind at the same time. But you start out with the determination. It's like an anchor post. It's something that the mind gets anchored on. And again, appreciate your own effort and then start. It is quite a good practice. And when you notice that the mind has run off into the world again and has all sorts of thoughts to stand still a moment and start all over again. It's perfectly all right to stand, collect yourself and do it over again.